You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Sasha Leko. This is one of those talks I've been hoping to make happen for quite a while now, and it definitely feels like a privilege getting to bring it to you. Sasha is a highly experienced photographer with a background in news, fashion, and music. He's the deputy photo editor of Rolling Stone, which, yes, we do get into. But this talk is more centered around the art that Sasha has made and also what's informed that art. On this episode of the podcast, I explore the ways his parents influenced his work ethic, what he holds dear about working closely with musicians, and yes, we do get into what it's like being the deputy photo editor at Rockstar. Thanks again to Sasha for being part of this. I loved every minute of this talk, and I'm sure you will too. This is the 405 Exchange with Sasha Leka. So it's funny, originally I was going to start this talk with saying that we hadn't had the chance to catch up, <laughs> but we just did that before yeah. hitting the quarter, so that's nice. We just trashed a bunch of people. <laughs> I guess the big thing I want to like uh, start ask you to start this talk off with is um, the last time I saw you, you were um, touring with KG Elephant, and they were with Beck and Spoon. Uh, what was that tour like for you? Oh, that? I mean, that tour was kind of insane, and um, they uh, I was only on with them for uh, for a day just uh, actually well two days I guess um, and so they were very gracious and allowing me there and uh, I think just the day before Lollapalooza started they, they played in Chicago and so I went early just to be with them yeah. and it ended up being a gallery online um, and then I saw them the next day uh, at Lala and covered them in, when they came through Queens so it's nice to have a, a relationship that has actually lasted a long time with them because um, I went on tour for almost a week in 2016 and been with them backstage two years before that. So they, it does feel like seeing kind of old friends every time I'm with them. Yeah. yeah. I've mentioned this on like another episode with a, a musician who's worked with them, but... Um, I've, I've been fortunate to be around them too and it has to be said Brad Schultz is like one of the kindest human beings you could ever meet in your life Brad's great and I think yeah I, um, I think I heard that episode it was the, the, the song he produced yeah that was with an, oh with uh, AJ from uh, Saratones yeah, yeah. there we go and that track that track is killer that track um, is good Lie to Me no Lie to My Face what's the track Lie to Me I think yeah, it was yeah. yeah that's dope he, it had just come out when I saw them so it was have an icebreaker <laughs> that day that's amazing yeah um you know naturally people who clicked on this episode are going to do so because it said it's going to say rolling stone on the title and description sorry i can't control that but um <laughs> you've been at rolling stone since 2007 and you've been around photography your whole life uh tell me when did music photography specifically enter your life like how did that happen yeah um that's interesting i think it has well um I'm not sure how to answer that. I very simply, I could say just just when I started working at Rolling Stone would be the easiest way. Although I've been attracted to a few photographers' work um, prior to that, that reflected music as their main kind of subject. Um, Danny Clinch being in, in on that list. Um, 
but it didn't drive me to want to shoot shows necessarily, although I was going to many. Um, it just sort of felt like that's the kind of thing that other people do. But at the same time, my my relationship with photography is just that I it always I'd always have a camera with me, and it was the way that I would often communicate with people and approach people and so wherever I worked I've ended up shooting even though they were not shooting positions um, <laughs> I've just been photo editor since the mid 90s um, and if I worked for a series of business magazines which I did in the early 2000s I ended up shooting a lot of tech people and a lot of uh, server farms and things like that and it was you know I found something in it that would interest me and then when you get to Rolling Stone and then your boss says like why don't you go shoot this show and um, um, that you'd never thought of doing before then then it kind of kind of clicked for me do you remember what that show was the first one um, I think it was may have been 2008 um, when I went to London and I shot Foles uh, at the Astoria, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, legendary venue. Yeah. And so it was really, they had just, we just named them an artist to watch, um, an artist to watch. And so since I found myself being there I, I, uh, in London, I reached out and, and asked. And since we'd just done this coverage, they gave me all access. So if you can imagine, this is my first experience. It's like <laughs> being able to. I'm hanging out with them and, um, and, you know, being everywhere that I wanted to be. And so, yeah, it was like a dream night. And then, so everything else kind of pale in comparison. <laughs> but I finally realized like, I, oh, I can't do that every time I go out. <laughs> it must be um, really special anytime you get to shoot them again. I think you did that back in like a number April of or May, I think. A number of times. Yeah. yeah and, year. uh, so every time I see them, I, I bring the 2008 photos because they, they look like children in those compared to now. Yeah, they basically were. They were like in 1928 yeah. and all that. That's insane. Um, but then, you know, I, 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 it, it followed up with, you know, bands like the Black Keys where I'd hang out for the, with them for a day for a, um, for a small gallery or something. And um, we'd also have a lot of musicians coming into the office and playing in the hallway and shooting them that way um so yeah that's how it i guess that's how it really started for me and it became um the the idea of photographing in these kinds of spaces um became really interesting and finding the sort of my own way to to make pictures that i liked in 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 those scenarios i think that's what a lot of people gravitate towards in regards to your work where apart from like the actual skill that's conveyed in the work, it's clear that you're trying to approach in a way that's not the same as everyone else. That would be the nicest way of saying that. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, very rarely is it a, I would consider that to be true, but very rarely be that I could say that I've been successful. And sometimes you're just in the, you know, you're getting, you're getting three songs in a, in with a band that's not doing much or the lighting doesn't change and you know you're getting everything that everyone else is getting and it's or fairly traditional kind of music picture but it's but when at, at the same time I'm always trying to look for something that's going to please me 
and um, and hope I always hope to try and get it in that in that same time time span. Well, tell me this. This is like a bit of an offshoot question, but just kind of came to mind. I remember when I started taking music photography seriously, I became obsessed with this idea of like having a style, and it's hilarious. I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was a moment when I recognized. I do have a style, even though I don't know how to describe it at all. Is that something you're aware of in regards to your own work? Like, are you aware that you have a particular style you like to approach or rest issue? Um, I guess, I guess I wouldn't be able to articulate it either. But I mean, I, it, it goes beyond the fact that I, I, I'm enamored with black and white photography. I've been shooting black and white films since I was 12. And so when shooting digital, I, I, um, I would convert everything to color. I mean, sorry, to black and white from color, and um, um, or even just even in the early days, just put it on the um, monochrome setting. And uh, uh, so, I mean, that's not a style in itself, but um, I think just the well, the photographers that I admire the most, um, I would, I would. Um, trying to emulate I, th I think probably the kind of work I'd seen been done before which is really about finding I don't know the sort of the moments that are kind of intangible um, and it's it's rarely someone singing um, <laughs> full-on into a mic I, I, uh, I, I, I don't like mic stands and mics <laughs> microphones and faces it's uh, um, but I'll look for some other kind of way that the band members on stage might complement each other and the way that they're they're moving um it's it's sort of a delicate kind of dance like that they're they might do even if they're not moving very much but then finding just that one where they're all just complimenting each other and that's not a style either i guess i mean i like black and white very grainy contrasty pictures but that's i mean a very basic kind of description of the style that i'm that, that I do, I guess. But I guess it speaks to the medium about like how it's difficult to articulate because it requires you to have a reaction towards looking at something. I mean, and I think that everyone in their best intentions are trying to do the same thing. They're looking for that, that kind of ultimate moment, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, jumping out of music for a sec, something I was really keen on talking to you about, and this is quite a deep cut in regards to your life, but uh, you did work for Newsweek during the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney. I did. Uh, back then, coverage of the games were still dominated by film. You worked as an on-site photo editor, and you had to process all that in real time. Can you please talk about that? Because that's really fucking incredible. <laughs> that's one of the last things I did there. Um, I was there for seven years, and... Um... It was kind of one of my last hurrahs, that in the um, the 2000 election uh, coverage, uh, Bush versus Gore. But the uh, the Sydney Games were, it was just a blast because, uh, one, because I got to fly business class to Sydney, Australia. Um, but then, um, but the, the idea of shooting film and then having it transmitted across the world um, super fast was, uh, well, that was the way that, like, uh, magazines had to operate and for instance Sports Illustrated was just down the hall from us we had a in the press center and they had like 50 people and they had 
the most amazing set of like equipment and processing gear and computers and everything, the scanners. Um, and all I had was uh, a desktop and a scanner <laughs> in this in this big big ass room and a fridge full of beer. And the um, but uh, what was happening was I think I forget which film company was a, was a, a sponsor. I think it was Kodak. That would make sense. So like you, if literally you could, if you could bring like six rolls of film with you when you got there, and Kodak was on site processing everything, and they, you'd have it in an hour, um, if if not sooner. And um, but then also if you gave them six to process, they would give you six rolls of film back to shoot. So they you essentially got a lot of free film because it was the sponsor. That's amazing. Um, and so that was what it was. We just had everything like all the, the all the film rolls uncut. I would run them back to our office and just edit by you know looking at the negative, <laughs> um, not even a positive like set of prints or anything that took too long. And I would I would I would scan in um, you know whatever looked like it was gonna work, and it was a lot slower back then. <laughs> <laughs> And even, I mean, and, and actually the transmitting of the files was, uh, was even slower. Um, I forgot we were using like an ISDN line, I think. Um, I forgot the speeds, but like this is back, this, like, even just a few years before that, like getting images from like the AP, the Associated Press, were, it was a four color uh, transmission and you could watch, you'd have to watch like each color come in <laughs> and it was like 20 seconds per color so like maybe like a full minute per image uh from ap was that's how slow it was so you had to edit really tightly and this is what kind of was really good training for me now um even though with digital you can shoot and overshoot um i think it really makes a difference um is how tightly or how smartly those images are are edited down, and I don't mean edited in terms of like worked on, but just just you know cutting out what just doesn't work. Yeah, because there's also a physicality there. I mean, when I think about you in that setting and what you had to do, there's the physical aspect of like producing the film, but also how you would place your body and like if you were shooting something and someone else was shooting something, and kind of like having that type of directive and those types of conversations and the tangible nature. I mean. It's crazy to think how that was only like 19 years ago yeah. and that it's so different. Yeah, it's like, it was crazy. Like, uh, it was also at the Women's World Cup final in 99, like on the field. And um, I wasn't shooting, but like I was running the film back um, to a lab like that we had rented out. It was closed for the day, but we like, they just stayed open just for us. Um, and because it was going to be the cover if the U.S. women won. And that was the year Brandy Chastain took off her shirt when she uh, scored the winning goal as a penalty. Um, so we knew it was like what was the cover was going to be. And um, so, yeah, I literally had to just process that, scan it in my hotel room, send four pictures. And in an hour, one of them was on the cover and designed and being shipped and it's crazy um and the girls were in the same hotel (laughs) with me (laughs) and i was trying to get them get downstairs to show them like on this really early laptop like 
here's your cover. <laughs> a couple hours later. Did you get to do it? No, the security wouldn't let me. Oh, shit. Just, <laughs> I know. I should just lie and say, yeah, it was great. <laughs> but security stopped me, as they should. <laughs> yeah, they should. Yeah. I mean, they earned their paycheck. They did. Yeah. Oh, I know it's a broad question, but it's one I'd love to explore with you, cause, especially because we were talking about, about before about style and stuff. But, you know, before we hit the recorder, we are talking a bit about portrait work and, you know, the different approaches to that. When you when you're doing a portrait, when you have someone in front of you in that manner, what do you think it is you usually want to get out of them? Obviously, every scenario is different, but what do you think it is that you're looking within that person to capture? Me personally shooting? Yeah. I, I have a difficult... Um, I have a difficult time with, with portraits. Um, as, I f- as I'm not really that good at directing people... I'm getting better at it, but the, it's not something that I've I've ever done really and I've usually just done more of like a documentary style and if I'm if I'm if I can be uh, tolerated over a period of time in 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 a space with someone I'll get something really that I like but if to 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 slow something down and put someone in in a spot and in some good light and um, what I end up doing is like it'd be considered really simple and I think there's other people that do it much, much better. So I, um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't, I have a difficult time with, with portraits only because of that, of, of just knowing what's going to work. Like I am, and that being said, I'm going to do one on Tuesday, Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I have a very specific plan already. Um, yeah. just because I know what the space is and the, the, and the context of that space is, Kind of essential to the kind of portraits being made um and so and also the subject's kind of like amazing at, at participating in that sorry i'm not yeah. can't mention who it is yet no of course <laughs> yeah. of course but i think what's interesting you used a really interesting word that i think is very um prevalent in regards to dictating how we approach things from a creative point of view because when you think about portraiture a lot of the time it's a rarity especially from a journalistic standpoint when you have the context of the space or the context of like the subject within the space itself mm-hmm. as like a form of inspiration or something to bounce off of it's like and we were talking about it before um before the record about how so many things projects are like so uh quick and turn around so quick and being determined it's a weird thing to like know if three hours from now you're going to take a portrait of someone in a space that you have no context for yeah i mean and um Obviously, there's a lot of portraits that get done in, you know, blank studios, and that you rely on a lot of, you know, the the lighting that you bring and sort of the moments that you can create with that person. Um, And, but in terms of, say, being like say on tour with someone and being like in those day to day situations, or even like backstage at a show, if it's like, I don't know, like it. Uh, like the Madison Square Garden, some of the spaces there look very cheesy and very corporate. Like, like I always would rather not make something happen there. No, yeah, you know no. I mean? we should say this for people who've never been, and it feels like almost a weird boisterous thing. But for people who haven't been backstage at Madison Square Garden, it's surprising. It looks very boring. And it's bleak. very boring. <laughs> it's very very boring. Um, and so you know, it's like in the business that, like we're often in you know there's there's music photographers who are very strong shooting the actual action of a show and then often we'll try and take a portrait 
you know, like backstage or, you know, and it's just, if they're just lined up sitting, standing there, it's, it's like, I mean, yeah, it's technically, it's a portrait. It's not necessarily something that's going to rise to like the level that, that maybe I, I might be interested in. Um, but sometimes that's all you have, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I guess going back to that initial question, when you find yourself in the midst of, you know, just having someone in front of you, do you think, it's a very like kind of lofty, almost spiritual question, but do you feel like there's something you're looking for in that person? Well, just the connection, you know, that helps a lot. Um, or, or even just well-composed, you know, photo will do. I, I, I don't mean to be so critical of, of people who, want to demonstrate like the ability to shoot portraits but you, you can imagine I get uh, a, a, a huge number of correspondences each day of people who send me work and sometimes it is very good and sometimes it's very bad and the um, you know for instance like there'll be uh, I have gotten this before as as a portrait where the, like there's someone like a guest author speaking at Barnes and Noble and they're sitting there in front of at that table and yeah. someone has a type portrait of them takes a tight shot of them from their seat and they'll send it to me <laughs> as a as a portrait <laughs> and I'm like well I can't do anything with this you know I mean for me like uh, I'm when I hear the word portrait I, I think of something that's much more thoughtfully composed or a greater connection between that that subject and the and the and the artist no, I would definitely agree with that. And um, I think what speaks a lot to what you're talking about as well is like the aspect of intention. Like that speaks a lot to like what makes a portrait successful. And it's just such an intimate thing. Like for me, it's something I feel marginally comfortable with now, but I find difficulty knowing what to do. Anytime I, what I like about doing portraits is that every time I do them, it feels like the first time, even though I've done so many. And I remember back in 2017, I had a big moment, proactive moment in my mind where I was like, okay, I suck at this. To get better at it, I should do the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000-hour thing. I don't have 10,000 hours, so I'll, I'll instead make sure I take 100 portraits this year. And it was weird. Yeah. Like, actually, the the act of doing that, it was, like, a weird thing to do. It's, it's yeah, I mean, um, I'm just, like, my mind is racing to, to think of very successful ones, even in under, like, very odd situations. Um... um but I'm blanking. The um, we I don't I don't know. And actually, I'm not even sure what you mean by intention. Like what? Uh, uh, well, I'll, 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 a good example is this because before we're talking about like uh, how some people who shoot music really well find it difficult to do portraits, like the cross reference. I think of a person like Puni and Abru, who Abru Yodos, who like they do very good portraits yeah as yeah. well as lifestyle mm -hmm. like it's yeah. amazing they could cross over and do both yeah that's not I mean that's um, I th yes that's they actually they both do very very strong uh, portrait work um, yeah that's not a that's not a skill that, that that's just universal that comes easily to everyone just because they're they work in a field of music um, there there are certain types of portrait work that might I might get suggested that I do um, in the office and I just I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it um, just because I know what my abilities are um, and that being said the work I'm going to do this week is something that it's kind of within the range of 
what I already do. And um, so in terms of intention, like that, I, I know what I'm going to get already out of that. Yeah. Um, well, also because you have the context as well, like you were talking about before. It's pretty planned out in my mind. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Um, I want to. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we didn't finish the thought. I was just saying the elements of, of that are have all been agreed to, and so yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's really good. <laughs> I, I'll I'll text you Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. Text text me like a, a draft. I'd love to see it. Sure. Uh, so your approach to shooting music, we were talking about it a bit before in terms of style, but I kind of want to explore that a bit more because the way I would describe your style, if I had to, was that you capture these moments that are very intense, but they're largely beautiful in terms of like the semblance and what's being conveyed where it's like I think what really speaks to me what what makes your work speak to me is that I'm seeing a moment that I would not see in regular everyday life obviously it's something that's being usually captured on a stage but even within that context it feels like it excels a bit beyond that um I feel like you're always good at getting moments where people are really exerting energy it's not like a thing about people being static uh what do you think it is that draws you to that? And what do you even agree to that? Thank you. And I'm, I, I, that is something that I'm looking for. And I think also the kinds of bands that I'm attracted to are often aggressive performers. And that will give you that, that those moments, you know. And um, if, if given the time and, and the, a bit of luck to be in the right place for. Um, and so... So yeah, so that I mean that comes easily. I, I've I've shot other artists that that do not move at all on stage, and it's very difficult. Um, but there there are also moments in the in the in the smallest of spaces too that that could be really subtle and captured. And um, like I said, I think that's what we're, like all of us are trying to do. There is um, uh, you know, there one of my favorite performers is Ty Siegel, and he's like, you, you know what he's gonna do, and but like one of my favorite pictures that I took the other night is just before just when he comes on and straps his guitar on and is back to back to the audience and just sort of tuning, and it's very dark and very serene, and like I really like this picture, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's and I think that most people who know who he is would will recognize him from his silhouette and just, you know, the way he's, his slumps his shoulders and, you know, those, those kinds of things. Um, I haven't posted it yet, though. <laughs> oh, I to see it. That kind of reminds me of that shot you got of Christine the Queens in Coachella where it's like she has all that red smoke around her and it's like mid-dance and it's very, it's very different than what you usually do. Yeah, that, that, um... I couldn't believe like that. I couldn't believe that was actually happening in front of me. I, she was. Um, uh, I'm pausing because I'm not sure if that's the pronoun she uses. But um, just for the sake of this conversation, I'll say she's really good at um, giving photographers the some really good access to make these images happen. Um, and that was at Coachella, and I had been texting her. Publicist, Ang. Yeah. yeah, all she's day. One of the best people. She's <laughs> awesome. Like, like you gotta let me get extra access. And what she ended up doing, which I think ended up being easier, and it was on such a high stage that it wasn't gonna be much of a problem for the audience, was that they let the photographer shoot the entire set. And this was later Bastards. in the set, and so, <laughs> and so, I said, "All oh, right, that's cool." But 
a lot of photographers were rushing off to shoot other things and I was lucky, lucky enough to have someone else covering with me and so I could stay for the whole thing and that was toward the end and like this incredibly beautiful stage setup. So, I mean, it was like the easiest picture I took all year and maybe my favorite picture too. That's a great one. Yeah. It was yeah. like, yeah, but it's like, it's like, it's a gimme. It's set up. It's like set up for you to, to, to get it. You know, it's like the, especially with things that are produced so well like that, it's, I mean, stages are often, I mean, they're, they're shaped like a, the frame of a, you know, of a, of a film frame, you know, and, yeah. it, and all you have to be is sort of in the right spot and kind of like ready to get it. And that's kind of like what, what I was, you know, what what kind of keeps me up at night, I guess. Yeah, but I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying a little, or trying to say off intention, because that shot and the Ty Siegel shot you mentioned, even though there's shots that are there that are kind of presented for you to take, it still takes the critical mind of you as the creative to want to capture that moment. And because what's interesting with what you're describing, and we see this all of other photographers, um, we don't all keep the same shots. Like if we shoot, like if eight yeah. of us shoot the same show, one of the reasons we're able to all post different moments is like there's things that we wouldn't keep and things we might not even bother capturing. Or we're seeing or we're seeing different things, you know. Like uh, you know, definitely there's been shots that are that have been posted from shows that I've been at. I'm like, I did not see that, yeah. you know. And maybe it's because I'm thinking of the other things, you know. And it's and it's it's a it could be a crutch, but um, but you know those two moments. Uh, that you just mentioned I mean the, they felt very cinematic to me as well and it's like I'm, there's a number of like filmmakers that are that I really like that are that it felt like is, is in that kind of same realm and like um, God what am I thinking of I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Radio On no, I don't think I have. Okay, no, I so have you have homework tonight. I like homework. Um, to film. And this is um, <laughs> you're gonna call me tomorrow and say it's the best film you've ever seen. But it's also sure? okay. yeah, Our it's first. um, it's Radio On. It's from 1979, and um, I think it's Chris Petit, who's um, who directed it, who I think was cinematographer for Vin Vendors, and so has the same kind of sensibility. And so it's it's like a, a, an entire film of like almost nothing happening, uh, just sort of like a cross country road trip. Uh, I think going from Bristol up north, I forget. Um, and it's just beautiful shots of just driving and the radio being on with some amazing like post punk soundtrack okay. of shots of the UK, black and white, very dark, like. Like, I, there's a, like I may watch it like once every few months, and it's um, it's on YouTube, and complete like for free. So, just Google that. <laughs> that just made me think of a black and white film I could recommend to you. Do you know of this film, La Haine? La Haine. I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a film I'll watch every. Yeah, few that's amazing. Out. I love that film. Um, and so, um, so yeah, Radio One. It's just the uh, stories about I think brother driving cross country because he's uh, following the death of his brother sorry and it's just um, like on the way he goes to, to a gas station and like the gas station attendant is sting 
and he's like in 1979 and he sings like an Eddie Cochran song or no, is it Eddie Cochran? But like, um, it's like, it's, it's killer. And of course I love all Vin Vendor movies. Tell me this, what is it about, cause you mentioned like how you, this obsession of shooting in black and white came around the age of 12. What do you think it is that draws you black and white? What like, what has prevailed it within you? There is, I mean, at first it was just because that's what I was processing myself. Um, and then, um, so, and then I learned like to really experiment with it and different grades of paper and different developing times to create more grain and more contrast. And I really love experimenting with that. Um, I never learned to process color film, but also like the classic photography that I really loved was all in, um, black and white and, um, and my, uh, there was a couple of works that really stood out for me. Uh, one was a photographer named Jim Goldberg, and the book was uh, Raised by Wolves. And uh, there's, I think there's color in it too, but it was um, just some photos of like a lot of homeless kids, um, street kids that he was surrounded by. Um, the other is Invisible City by Ken Schles, which is... Thing made in the late 80s um, and just his life in the East Village living then there and it's the super rich like super rich black and white and very very heavy very heavy grainy and and it's like that book changed everything for me and especially like the kind of shots you take just of his like everyday life or just the details on, of the table um, and sort of going out at night and this was sort of like a few years before I was like moving out and also living in the East Village at first and then um, and then on the west on the west side um, and so a lot of these spaces and a lot of these kinds of people were familiar to me um, and so yeah, and it just became like an ethos, you know, about like just shooting anything, anything around you, um, as a document, and of, you know, of your life. And so, for that reason, like I never really a, a, approached, you know, photography as sort of like a business. For instance, um, it's also the work that my parents did, and I just didn't want to, you know, get into that field necessarily. Um, but then it sort of, you know, it's kind of tracked me down everywhere I went to, to then shoot for wherever I was working. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, for that reason too, like I've always had a very difficult relationship with the idea of calling myself a photographer because it's not like the way I actually make my money, <laughs> you know, it's not taking pictures. Um, it's related to photography, but, um, I've since grown, I've grown that. So, okay, yeah. I was gonna say it's uh, just uh, it's a thing I like was bu bugged me the last ten years, especially since you know work, working, you know like see my parents work so hard and like certainly every music photographer just like a mad hustle, and you know and then here I am like I make salary and I just go to shows when I want to, <laughs> and then like I'm like yeah I'm a photographer, <laughs> um, but. You know, that's the relationship I have with the medium. Yeah, that was actually, it's kind of interesting hearing you describe it. That was a, it was a bit similar for me because for most of my life, I've never 
not have a full-time job while also a shooter. So it was this type of thing where it almost felt like like almost reverse imposter syndrome where I would be at like the job but I would feel like I was like Bruce Wayne. <laughs> this and is then, <laughs> I would go shoot a show and feel like I was being Batman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's funny. It's really not that cool, but I wish it was as cool. For as me, it was like that. I there was so much like pressure on the jobs that I had, um, that like I could go and I have gone even recently like months without really producing anything um, with a camera. And but I mean lately now it's it's now becoming more a very specific part of my job where there are certain things that I I am definitely going to be shooting. You said it to me actually a couple years ago and it stuck with me. I actually think it was at a Christine and the Queen show. We were just talking about like the business and how things have changed. And you were saying like how in, in, in regards to the old guard, a photo editor going out to shoot is like almost a perverse or weird thing. But it was yeah, interesting yeah. for me because I'm like with me being 29 and growing up most of like magazines and blogs, that's all I've really ever known. There's, um, you know, when I... My, I recently was reminded of like the first photo that I shot that ended up in Newsweek magazine and it was like a thumbnail of like a bottle of water uh, <laughs> that my best friend kept a tear sheet of and recently gave it to me. Oh, that's amazing. It was very sweet. And um and I remember doing it. I remember it was like they really they just needed a shot of this bottle of water. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing where it, it was a specific bottle of water, so it you couldn't just like get like a stock image. This had to be shot. And Traditionally, then, that means we would call a photographer, say, I need this shot. You send them over the bottle of water. They <laughs> shoot it. They get the film processed. Because this was in 93. No, sorry, 94. Um, and uh, so, basically, the um, they said, look, it's going to go this big. It's going to be super small. Like, when, can you just do it? I'm like, okay. Um, so, I did it. And then I got calls after that, after it ran. Of photographers flipping out. Are you serious? Yeah, like that was just like, at the time considered, extremely improper, uh, offensive, uh, a sign of things to come, of photographers being, you know, uh, pushed out of a certain space. And like, I mean, if we had, if we had a, we do have. Actually, we did at the time have contracted photographers. They just weren't in that day you know yeah. so but because I'm on the masthead as a photo person you know photo editor like they I heard about it I heard about it and so after that whenever I'd shoot um, my image was would run under a fake name does it surprise you how different it is now yeah, now it's like, like it's, it's such a given now yeah, it happens everywhere yeah. Um, yeah it's crazy like almost all photo editors are shooters as well now yeah almost. yeah, yeah. Or expected to be able to have some kind of ability to shoot something, yeah. you know, that might be necessary in that in that world. Yeah, and it really struck me, and I really thought, like, oh my god, it took it took like money out of someone's mouth, you know, or you know, food out of someone's mouth. Um, and you know, but that, at the time though, you know, like the the I the '90s were not like the good old days. It was like it was still like the same day rate that people we're paying for the last 15 20 years um but now the work was like shrinking magazines were shrinking um the rights associated with the work was getting a little bit more challenging it's i mean it's a lot worse now um, yeah. 
but uh, so yeah, it's um, but that was the beginning of you know like when the internet was kind of everyone was like wondering how they were going to get their work online, and magazines were assuming that like any any shot that was done for print was couldn't go online, and that took years of legal challenges to sort of become the norm. You know, it's uh, it's it was crazy. It was a very crazy transitional time. Yeah. Uh, I actually want to jump into something a little bit more personal because I'm a big believer, I don't have any kids, but I'm a big believer that when I eventually do and when people have kids, it's so important to expose them to things in the sense that I feel like you ever only learn something's possible when you're around it as a kid. And I feel like you're an interesting case study in that sense because, um, I mean, your parents in proxy of their careers, they exposed you to art at such a young age that you got to see the practicalities of it. Um, Can you talk to me a bit about your parents and the role they played in, like, inspiring you? Yeah, they, um, they're very inspiring people. Um, they, they, um, my dad was, uh was a rock star in Romania uh, in a pretty successful band there's actually a couple of YouTube clips as well from the TV performance on Bucharest TV um, my mom was uh, uh, her dad was a foreign diplomat and so kind of grew up around the world and uh, when they got married uh, they quickly had my sister and I uh, and then they lived in Rome, uh, you know, working in a bar to, to get by. And then they knew they were coming here. So my dad came here first and he ended up like, like washing dishes first for a while and then becoming a textile designer. And but he always wanted to be a photographer um, to the point where he sort of inflated, overinflated his own like ability to do certain types of work just so he would get it you know and like um because he knew he could do it and and he could um and so yeah they started working in the fashion um industry together shooting basically the runway shows and this was at the time when the the people shooting those shows were only people who shot fashion shows they weren't you know, wire service guys, they weren't like sports photographers who also did, need to do something else, you know. It was very spe- uh, specialized kind of field. And they would travel four or five times a year around the world to all the different uh, shows. So, I mean, the work ethic alone is what I saw. And, and also how, also saw very directly how when the magazine kind of industry changed, how it affected their own kind of livelihood um, but also saw them like championing like young designers who do not have money but are show enormous promise and and ability and like wanted them to shoot they, they couldn't afford it like they would do it and you know so and sort of like help people that way too you know, and so um, a lot of like their own film, like I used to process too for their ad for like ad work, and you know, it's like I'm sure like a lot of these companies would feel like it was very strange to to have their ads printed by a 13 year old <laughs> if they knew. So yeah, it, you you see how hard they work, and you know that that's why I, I I'm always working. We're always working. My wife and I are always working. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. incredible because yeah. I don't think. 
it's funny I've naturally talked to people about their parents especially to a great capacity of doing like a podcast like this but I don't think I've ever heard someone so succinctly put how their parents directly influence them they're still working like like they're I think this week is like the first week off like they just came back from being away and for over a month doing the shows in Europe uh, so their work is still in demand I mean it's 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 not like the days when they would like be the main photographers for many of the design houses and magazines, but they're they they're, they do amazing work. And the thing is too, it's like that kind of photography is it seemed for a long time like the, that's what I was sort of rebelling against. It seemed very um, inelegant, you know. It was like it just seemed like well, you're just standing at the end of the runway, you're just like taking these pictures. And but I've I've done that work too, and it's like it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, the timing of it and sort of to know um, you know to really know the if what you're looking at is like really great like I don't know fashion that way that like they do and so um, and even just in shooting details or just the shoes and like even like the way it's framed like these things like it seems like it should be really easy but it's not and so it's yeah. um, it's it kind of like sort of put me in my place like um there's just sometimes in like the, these these like the, especially the detail shots of like where they want they need like whatever like a bracelet you know the yeah, like an accessories kind of shot so really these nuanced nuanced you know kind of moments like within like a very structured kind of show I'm like how, how did he do that yeah um, and so like so for me like they're very complimentary and impressed with what I do but like I feel like if you go go to a show and there's someone who's like looks amazing and doing amazing things that it's like it's not as difficult as that <laughs> i know exactly what you mean i mean uh something that comes to mind for me is when i started shooting like really big pop shows um i remember prior to that i was like you know mostly in like clubs and small bars and mm -hmm. thinking like oh, i'm sure if i shot an arena it'd be so easy and because of all the lights and stuff and there is a level of ease in terms of just mechanics of a camera mm -hmm. but in terms of instilling your artistry and still getting something that has a specific look is difficult at but. that level it's tough just because everyone's so spread out but like yeah but um but otherwise like for the shows that are just lit a certain way to be seen a certain way it's like i feel like it's i mean i used the term gimme before but i guess it's just <laughs> like a little harder than that but yeah. but uh but yeah there's some there's like at some level like everyone is sort of capable coming image maker and knows how to use their camera they're going to go in and get something yeah. you know and you know I've seen some like some of the like top people alongside me sometimes be at a show where they're just absolutely not interested <laughs> <laughs> and they're just they're just like whatever yeah <laughs> just spray and they're going to get something I guess know? speaking in regards to your parents because I've seen some of their work and to me it's like I don't know how to articulate it similar to how we were talking about style, but it's clear they're able to express themselves within that work, which you would think is very cut and dry, like you were saying, like how it's just prior to you trying it, it was kind of like standing there and click of what oh, yeah. they're able to instill themselves in that. And also, I mean, for the, especially for, for what, what the intended use of those kinds of images are, they're really often not used in a big way in magazines, sometimes very small, just to show like what the collection looks like. 
you know, it's very mechanical. Yeah. Uh, it's very technical. It's like technical writing. You know, it's like the instructions on the side of a cereal box. You know, it's like it's the kind of thing you need to have, and it needs to be really succinct. And like, we need to see what these clothes look like for these pictures. But if you can then elevate that, and to be to do it in the, by standing in the same place where where everyone else is standing, using basically the same gear that everyone else is using. That's the thing you, that you can't like always quantify, you know, and it's yeah. like you just like know like well this person just gets it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I knew I only have a couple of questions for you. Thanks for taking the time for chatting. Sure. Um, one of the things I was kind of laughing about in my head when I knew I was going to talk to you was like how like I mentioned again the title and the descriptions that say like Rolling Stone on it, but. I definitely know I want to approach the talk in a way where we barely mention that. So someone <laughs> listening who probably wanted to hear about Rolling Stones going like, they didn't mention Rolling Stone, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot, I mean, yeah, maybe, well, we talked a lot about it before yeah. um, we hit record, but yeah. just like, that's like the business stuff. It's, exactly. It's, well, this question is for that aggravated person who wants to hear about Rolling Stone, but I want to approach it in a different way because I feel like just just by the very proxy of you working there and having worked there for so long, you've probably been asked every single question that could be relative to that. Maybe. So Until I, right now. Well, let's see. Let's find <laughs> out. Because there's people who are listening going like, okay, this is an editor of Rolling Stone. What do I do to entice them? So rather than that, I'd rather ask, what's something a person should not do if they want to entice you? Or what should they not do if they want to be part of Rolling Stone? Well... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need more water? <laughs> I'm going to need a lot more water for this. No, that's a good question only because that's true. The reverse of it has been asked. And, and, and I think the one way I've answered it before, the reverse anyway, is that just to sort of be very, to be very, to be very excellent and to be so, so good that you, you, would, you can't not be noticed by, you know, editors of, various magazines you know because we are part of our job is to always be looking and always you know we might even talk to other editors and go oh do you know this guy you know this girl you know and and so there's always this sort of chatter and always looking around for talent that we haven't used but what um what not to do um <laughs> what not to do <laughs> i would not uh i would not um uh, Let's put it this way: I, <laughs> reaching, reaching out to an, a, a photo editor when you have images to share is um, is something a lot of people don't know that they can do, and that they should do. Um, and so I think, and often, I people are surprised to hear that. But uh, maybe your audience, they'll they're like, yeah, we know that we're sending work out. But um, but I think it's sort of the way that it gets sent out is um, is is. Um, Here's what not to do: <laughs> don't don't reach out every few days. <laughs> um, don't reach out every time you just shot the next thing you shot and it's awesome, you know. And like, oh, I'll just share this. Like, I would I would definitely pace it out a little differently. Um, maybe over every few months. Um, I wouldn't necessarily tag a photo editor in your photos every time you post um, something. Um, do people do that? People do that all the time. <laughs> oh fuck! Um, <laughs> I, I would. I would I know that you can reach out on social media and Twitter and Instagram DMs and Facebook Messenger and such 
don't know if that's the best way. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a dinosaur, but like, I <laughs> my email is really easy to find, <laughs> and um, so I would just send an email. It's also easier for me to sort of look find you again. I sometimes I've had photographers reach out on Instagram, and then I can't find them again. Just like I get so many that it just gets lost in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that what what you might need to realize is that um, like just because you've shot like one festival and it looks pretty good I wouldn't just send it out to you know Rolling Stone I, I think that if I think what in the purest sense of what we're looking for is, is someone who's got like their own kind of way of picturing these kinds of events and has come away with their own voice in these moments and that's what we'd be looking for um I could name some specifics, but it kind of doesn't matter. Like, I think the the number of people that we've used um, to to cover events or shows in sort of the, in the best possible way I could describe them as people that sort of are taking the medium that we all use and generating work that is very obviously theirs, um, and that that will make you stand out. Yeah. I would also express uh, thinking outside the box. Like while you were saying that last bit, I was just reminded of one of my favorite photographers from the UK, Holly Fernando. Oh, yeah. And uh, what's amazing about her, it just made me think about this. She's one of my favorite people to see festival photographer from, but she ever rarely shoots the axe. And that's an amazing kind of thing to, yeah, that's great. <laughs> to notice about her work. We're in a. Some that's sort of like my dream like my dream is like as a photographer I think it's like everyone else's is like to get an assignment where you just like just you just like go to this thing and sort of do what you want like whatever you see whatever you find interesting just do that and it might not involve being in pit at all you know and um yeah, that's really great. I um, I wasn't that aware that she um, did that, but we've um, she she um, I noticed her work a while back, and um, and we've used her a couple times. I don't know if you know that. Oh, um, she didn't know that. Yeah, it makes sense though. She's yeah, phenomenal. She did. Um, oh, what did she shoot for us? I forgot what the first one was, but she just shot um, Vanessa Kirby. Oh. Um, uh, it was. A and it was a lovely portrait um, and I thought it was just really beautiful so yeah and I I think Vanessa liked it too so that's always a good good one but yeah but it, and it wasn't um, I think she shot oh she sent uh, Anderson Pock as well but like right. so first time was like a music personality and the, the next was a movie star so yeah that's amazing good for her before we jump off this topic of what not to do um, it seems like such a small thing but I actually think this might be really helpful for people in the context of emails, right? What would you say are email subject lines people shouldn't use? Uh, oh, he, yeah. I, so I, I should add for people listening because they can't see you. You tense. <laughs> you put your shoulders up like I'm ready to I'm go. Just like chest pains, <laughs> chest pains. Uh, ready to. No, I. You know what? Um, I'm not too much of a stickler. I think, like what, I think in this case it might be easier to answer me answer what I what they what people should do is that it just honestly like it, it's just indicate um, your city <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people 
you'd be surprised to, like reach out like they want I want to shoot for you and they're like I have no idea where you are you know uh, you know like just and the thing is if I like if it's in a it's certainly like if it's in an odd location and by, by odd I mean like not LA or New York or Chicago you know it's like if you live in say um, Santa Fe and I don't have that much work there but if if something comes up I'm going to search my email for Santa Fe because I'm like oh someone must have sent me an email and it's gonna come up and that's like what uh most people just don't do that if they want to just let sort of the work speak for themselves which is great but it's at the same time like i kind of need to know where you are and the kind of work that you do like even in the subject line um and you know it, the email doesn't need to be long it doesn't need to be uh ass kissy it doesn't need to you know but it just needs to say look i'm just putting this work in front of you you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a look. You know, yeah, that's my job. It's your job. <laughs> that's yeah. my job. Before I let you run here, can you tell me? I know it's almost impossible to distill it to one thing, but can you tell me what's probably surprised you the most about working at Rolling Stone? Because I mean, naturally, you've got to do really incredible things, but you've also had the chance to work with some really incredible people. There's also Griffin, who you work with every day, who is. A great friend. He's a great guy. Oh my god! It's like honestly, for a while, like there was only like us two left, and uh, we were the only ones like putting the magazine together. And now we've got a a really good uh, crew. Um, We have a couple more people there, Um, and so um, uh, I. What's really been startling is like just the how smart everyone is where I work. And uh, for good reason, you know, like, they, they really hire very good people. And so I'm constantly trying to, like, make sure that I'm up to that level. And for me, I, even if it means for me to, like, show up a couple hours early and work from home till late and things like that, like, I'm just trying to make sure that um, the work that I'm putting out is going to match, you know, the work that are, that's being done across the board um, in the office. Um, and what else should I say? I <laughs> uh, um, I guess, um, the thing about, you know, like, I, I think I, I would like to mention that just, you know, I, I, like, it's, I, I'm aware that I, I work in a place that's still considered somewhat romantic, um, um, and there's some really good, you know, I, a lot of people love to hate on, you know, music publications, you you know, if you're they're covering an artist that they, they don't like or anything like that, but even I think even at the and the best examples of, of what happens is you know like uh, even an artist that I just cannot stand, you know, there's usually some really good writing um, that that is being done about it. So it's I find myself just even fascinated reading about you know Taylor Swift, even though I just do not really care yeah. <laughs> about her music. But um, but anyway the um, and so, yeah, there's, um, and, you know, the, the, the work that I actually shoot, you know, like, I always make sure, uh, like, I'm judging my own stuff in the same way that I would anyone else's as a photo editor. And if something comes up that I'm being offered to shoot and it's not something that I think is right for me, though, I'm, I actually say so. Um, I don't just do it just because, like, yeah, I want to see, I want to meet that person I want to do this picture I, I, I kind of want the picture to be the best it can be and so I'm often aware that like while I am actually shooting some things that 
that needs to, you know, I need to really haul ass to make sure it's up to up to those standards that I have. Um, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, I'm like, I, um, I don't know. How you wanna? We reached the tail end of this. How do you feel? Feel okay. Yeah. Feel alright. The water held out. <laughs> it did. I feel like it. I'm always intrigued to see how people feel after these things because I imagine. What's interesting for me, whenever I'm sat here talking to someone, it's so far, there's far in, in between moments where I have to talk about myself that there's a, almost a sense of detachment because I'm just talking to someone, but it's like, you have to talk about yourself for like an hour. It feels weird. It feels, it definitely feel feels weird. weird. And like, I like this kind of thing too, where like, you know, like that, like, oh, you, you might ask about like certain people or whatever. And I'm like, I can't even remember my own name right now. How am I going to do this? But, um, you know, the, the, the. The thing also that motivates me, though, I'll just finish, please, also, like, yeah. is that there's so many good people <laughs> that are so hungry and work so hard and, like, and often at times so much younger. But the, um, and that, that also motivates me, too, that, I, like, I know that I'm sort of taking up a space uh, as sort of middle, middle-aged white dude um, where... You know, other voices might be more appreciated or of interest and, or, you know, um, so I'm kind of always aware of that and that's why I always try and like make my work as good as can be just to sort of justify, justify my position and my, my, my role in the magazine and. I think your experience does too. Certainly that, I mean, that, that's, that's always good, but like we're in an industry which is like woefully been, um misaligned by keeping people of color and women on the sidelines and often hired sometimes just for for appearances and 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 don't really value their voices um in the new era of the magazine i have to say that uh it, you know I, I've, I've been at rolling stone almost 12 years and in the first 10 like we've always been pretty good with hiring women photographers um but because the magazine kind of got very small you know we just sort of relied on sort of the relationships that we had which is using very few photographers that had very long long-standing kind of roles in the magazine um but in in the new era of the publication there's been uh, like a dramatic shift in um, hiring uh, in terms of in, even within the magazine but also the photographers that we hire uh, just so that's been really that's been really important and inspiring as well that's yeah. also amazing that's yeah. a part of it yeah yeah I guess should have come up earlier but like <laughs> um, but it's like uh, it's it's kind of a big deal and I'm sure it's not even up to like true you know equity um, but um, I'm not even sure what the numbers are. I just know that it's been a dramatic improvement, and I think the results have been really important. and And uh, and the magazine looks great. So, it definitely does. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did it, sir. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it. See you later. <laughs>